You're watching Global Trade This Week with Pete Mento and Doug Draper. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's Global Trade This Week. I'm Pete Mento, as always, is the guy who keeps it on the rails, my friend Doug Draper. Uh, Doug, how you doing, buddy? I'm good. I'm good. The, uh, your intro voice there was pretty legit. I, I think... Uh... Welcome to Global Trade This Week with your host, Doug Draper. Yeah. yeah. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. I didn't do that one. I didn't, I didn't. So before the show, everybody, we were talking about all these different voices that you do, you know, that are like radio guy voice. I didn't do Monster Truck Rally. <laughs> Sunday, Sunday, Monster Trucks will sell you the whole seat, but you'll only need the edge. Yeah. yeah. I tried back. to be a voice actor. Again, we were also talking about all the crap I did when I was a comedian to pay the bills. Um, I don't know if we can go there or not. Okay. No, no, no. Um, I'll tell you this one. So I tried to be a voice actor, Doug, but uh, I have a, a speech impediment that I didn't know about that makes me more or less unemployable as a speech actor, a speaking hmm. actor. So they told me, like, you're, we can't hire you. You have, like, a, a long-standing S, like you have a lisp, and you um, your accent keeps coming in to things. Hmm. Really? All right, well. I guess I won't make that nine bucks an hour to do the car ad for some used car place in Dundalk. Doug's trying to rush me, everyone, because he has a hard stop. No, no, not too hard. Well, the reason is, is I'm Pete, I'm coming to you from the wonderful city of Fresno, California. We were just chit-chatting. So yesterday, not that hot, Pete, 112 or 109 yesterday. Today's like 106, 105. Now the heat's all over the country. it's uh, it's crazy and it's horrible. But I was talking to Keenan, and then you and you walk outside and you're like, "Geez, it's hot," and then you go about your day. So um, m- maybe I'm afforded that uh, ability to do that with my job. I'm not outside all day, but it is ripping hot, my friend. Oh yeah, we don't have a lot of air conditioning up here, so when that stuff makes it out to New England, you're gonna think the Patriots just lost the Super Bowl with the amount of. <laughs> Over the top complaining people are going to have up here. Hey, yeah. do you like my headset? Welcome to Burger King. I take your order. Yes. Got that yeah, it is. I was going to say it's it's not quite Janet Jackson headset ish. Hers is yeah. a little bit less uh, obtrusive, but it, it is good for a, a whopper and fries. If you have the chance, Doug, see her in concert. She is absolutely incredible. Mm. I don't know if she tours anymore, but I've seen her a couple of times and she's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Huh. Well, Taylor Swift is the big thing now, as you know. So, Doug, should we should we go see T Swift together? <laughs> no. no. Start a mosh pit at the Taylor Swift show. No, I've heard enough Taylor Swift. My daughter went to the Kansas City show a couple of weeks ago, and they were just in Denver, so it's Swifties all the time. Um, the last week. So. My latest music, Doug, is uh, when I work. I listen to music where I don't understand the language. So for a while it was Hawaiian music, but then I started singing along. I don't know what I'm saying, but I'm singing along. And now it is all hardcore death metal done by uh, New Zealand Maori, which is their native people, and Samoan artists. Wow. So um, Shepherd's Rain, as an example. I know you like the heavy metal, man. I'm going to send you some of this stuff. It is angry. It is angry. So I'm sitting here just typing away. You know, I'm starting to say the words, though. So mm. I might have to switch to something else. Maybe K-pop next. I don't know. 
Yeah. Well, Doug, I, I talked first, so you're going to kick it off with your first uh, topic. What do you got for us, pal? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you very much. So it's a topic that we danced around the last couple of weeks, but it, it uh, it's always interesting as labor negotiations continue. This last week, it was about um, yellow. This week, we're going to talk about uh, UPS. And the thing that caught my attention is, uh, Pete, are we talking about practice here? Because UPS is, thank, do, do you like that one? I, I was do. trying to get that one in. Yeah. Um, UPS is kicked up high gear on business continuity training. So basically, if the, you know what hits the fan and they have non-union employees know how to handle the deliveries. Um, and then the other piece that, that I read, uh, so that's happening right now. Now, the, the piece and posturing with UPS is, oh, we always do that, JIC, yada, 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 but it's, uh, it's really ramping up. And that they also made a, an announcement several months ago about um, PTO, personal time off for managers in July and August is a no-go. So uh, everybody is, is all hands on deck. Meanwhile, at, um, I can't think of that. What, what was that? Uh, oh, meanwhile, at the Hall of Justice, um, from all of you Saturday morning cartooners back in the, uh, in the uh, late 70s, early 80s, uh, Sean O'Brien is taking a tour of the tri-state New York area. He is participating in practice strikes. Um, so both sides, I think, is a little bit of posturing. Um, it should be interesting. The biggest deal, right? People are like, oh, what's the strike about? From what I understand, it's a 6 to $7 wage gap with UPS part-timers for starting wage and then establishing wage. So it's all about the money. Um, Six to seven dollar delta between uh, what's offered and, and what's willing to be accepted. The, the the cool thing, Pete, on this one is that uh, well, I don't know if it's cool. The interesting is classic Sean O'Brien, right? The guy's a character, and I want to say that if anybody knows this guy and he wants oh, to come on the show and take please. his perspective on things, we will welcome him all day long. Pete. We'll was, we'll we'll do a three hour show. Yeah, we'll, we'll let him talk all day. Oh yeah. Yeah, and your connections up there in uh, in Boston. So there you go. If you know Sean and you want to let him know, there's this amazing show called Global Trade this week. We want him on it, and one of the co-hosts is very familiar and from the Boston area. So uh, so bring it. We'd love to have it. But Sean is saying, "Hey, White House, stay out of it." And I don't know if you saw this quote or not, um, but I'm going to read it. Um, he said, "In my neighborhood where I grew up in Boston, I love that." So in my neighborhood, when I grew up in Boston, if two people had a disagreement and you had nothing to do with it, you just kept on walking. So uh, <laughs> oh, I love it. My grandfather yeah. was a teamster, Doug. What's that? My grandfather, the 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 career criminal. He was also a teamster. So you yeah. know, I'm not saying anything, uh, but he was very proud of his being a member of the Brotherhood. So, yeah, uh, yeah. Doug, so could you last... imagine? So my last thing I, I have to do, you know, everything always comes back to us, Pete. So um, here's my personal story. I was in the industry when UPS had their last strike, like mid to late 90s, right? Yeah. Um, I worked for Airborne Express. I was probably 25, 27 years old. I didn't know shit from Shinola and everything went nuts. So Airborne was a dumping ground for overflow packages. And we were trying to position ourselves not to take too much, blah, blah, blah. But Loved Airborne. Um, um, uh, we took as much as we could. So I was in a suit and tie as this kid loading up packages 
in um, my um, Chevy Malibu driving stuff around. I didn't know how to do anything, right? I didn't even have a scan gun. I was just chucking boxes. And um, there was one letter. So my, my terminal manager came over and said, you have one job today, Doug. And he handed me a letter and he says, this needs to get to Vail, Colorado in the next three hours. And it was, a, it was an envelope. And I'm like, what? I, uh, okay. So I look at the name. And the name was Charles Schwab. And they're like, if there's one thing that you do today, it's haul your ass up to Vail and make sure you get this thing delivered in the next three hours. And I'm like, to get to Vail is about two and a half hours. And they're like, get the bleep out of here. Don't screw this up. And so uh, it's all hands on deck for sure, at least in my experience with, air, with Airborne when there, was a, um, when there was a strike. And there's a, a good friend of mine, Jerry Hempstead, who worked at Airborne. Complete respect for that gentleman. He's a parcel maniac he, he probably has uh, uh many many stories of crazy situations like that so jerry if you're listening to this one uh, i'm just thinking back of the ups strike back in the day you bring up a good point a couple of great points here doug you know the, the one i want to hit on first is it's a specialized industry it's a specialized industry it's like like customs it's like warehousing distribution and pick pack it's it's a subset inside of the subset that is our industry and it's very specialized and that's why they can First of all, expect the fees that they demand for their service. And second of all, they can keep people out of it. That's why there's so few companies that do small package. Many of us, even the company I work for, we have associated small package products, but we still depend on these massive providers to do it. So that, you know, that's, that's big, bud. Um, the second thing you really hit me with fast is the whole business continuity thing. Post 9-11, that became for our industry so important. So many companies that built these, if a warehouse gets hit by a hurricane, if we have uh, an issue of civil unrest in a major city, how are we going to keep working? Um, cybersecurity, you know, all, all those things. And a lot of them found themselves in a new fresh hell when a pandemic happened. They were not ready for such a, a massive undercutting of their operations. They learned from that and they're moving on. So am I surprised that UPS is sort of, you know, in, in case of all hell, breaking loose, break glass. No, I'm not. But I do agree with you, the timing, um, the, the publicness of how they're talking about it does smack is a little bit interesting. Uh, one thing I wanted to ask you about, Doug, and we talk about what could happen here. That's what the show's about. Been reading a lot of articles lately, a lot of them, like at least a half a dozen that say that this will not be a problem if they go on strike. That if UPS goes on strike, that there is enough excess capacity in our industry that we should be able to weather it for quite some time. And I read that, I think, is this a PSYOP? Like, is this a UPS PSYOP where they're hiring journalists to say this? You know, like, mm -hmm. you don't, you're not afraid of you. Um, because I, I think of all the things that get delivered around the world and the relative ease with which it's done. I can't believe that a third party could, or a number of third parties could just roll up in there to, to pull them out of this, to help UPS out. I mean, I, I certainly, I won't turn away the business. I'll be the first in line knocking on doors, but I don't know, Doug, do you, do you think that they could handle, uh, our industry could handle it? Yeah, well, I'll answer that in, in, in two ways. Number one, if you're just looking at a spreadsheet and doing the math and looking at all of the possible capacity throughout all the parcel providers, including the super regional niche guys, and you probably say, if you add all that up, I'm just using the example, 
There's 18 million parcels of capacity a day. UPS handles 18 million parcels. And I'm just using that number. I have no idea if that's the right number, right? Can one plug into the other from a spreadsheet? Pete, I apologize for saying this, but some, you know, but some nerds pushing paper up in the, a C-suite, maybe that's probably valid. But the reality is all of that is going to come at once. It doesn't matter how long you can prepare. It's going to get jammed through the system in a huge amount uh, of volume in a very short period of time. And humans can only move so fast, right? So um, if it was sustainable, yeah, I think digest it over a week or two. I think it could probably happen. But if it's a short blip to uh, underscore pain points, no way, in my opinion, can the system absorb that amount of volume um, within a couple of days. And possibly the UPS strike happens for a couple of days. So uh, the Teamsters say, look at the damage that uh, has been created. We'll come back to work and fix the problem. But uh, that's my answer on that one. I am a nerd. So on behalf of all of the people that you just insulted, uh, you know, I just want to say that wasn't very kind. Doug, making fun of the nerds. Uh, but second of all, I I tend to agree with you that, that this is this is kind of how my tribe works. We say, well, the math's there. The math says we should be just fine. So don't worry about it. But I don't think that this is a situation where the math realistically is showing us precisely how impactful this could be on our entire industry. I just don't. I think that uh, you can hem and haw all you want in public. If this thing goes down, our whole industry is going to pay for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, agreed. And before we start, I just want to apologize to all the uh, the accountants and bee counters out there for that inappropriate comment a minute ago. You want, so. to, apologize, you want to publicly uh, apologize before you get canceled for making fun of the nerds, <laughs> the geeks, the geeks, yeah. the dorks. Well, on behalf yeah. of my people, Doug, we accept your apology. Yes, it's, I'm, pa I'm passionate and it comes out in the wrong way sometimes. So anyway, let's get off this topic, baby. Let's, uh, let's flip it to you. What's your first one? Uh, my first one is about the... More, more aggravating news about China. So last week we had our first realistic report talking about the May and June numbers. And they continue to be shockingly, I mean, absurdly bad for China. Their, their GDP growth is hovering at about 3%. They were hoping to be at six this year. And that's numbers based on what China is willing to share. I'm not sure in reality what they are. There's a couple of economists that think that they're probably closer to one and a half to two percent. And this is a real, real serious problem for China politically because they're having a real problem getting young people, young professionals at, to work. The economy in and of itself is insanely dependent on foreign consumption. They're trying to move away from that, but they weren't. And they felt pretty confident, Doug, but I don't think anybody saw COVID coming and how that has disrupted their 100-year plan to be more of an independent economy, not so based on world consumption. And it's it's really hitting hard. That has caused our friends at the USTR and their version in China with the Ministry of Trade to get together and have substantive conversations about what both countries can do to make this better. So I, I can't believe I'm saying this, Doug, but there's an economic trade reason that could bring about a de-escalation in all the military talk right now because China needs us. They need us. And we've always needed China. But now, economically, China needs us more probably than they have ever, ever, Doug, in the past, let's say, 40 years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a good, 
It's a good testament that there needs an yin and yang, as I referred yep. to, that that that's more um, positive in nature. And so when I use it here, I don't want to say it's negative, but it's a great example of one country needs the other more than they want to to necess, uh, to admit. And uh, and the other thing that I've noticed, and I was doing some research this morning, it's 7 a.m. out here in California, so I was up early uh, when I got your topics, um, you know, 30 minutes ago or something. And um, a lot of these um, projections are coming from .com, .gov, and .org. I don't see many coming from .cn, right? Yeah. So, yes, we may be getting data from China, but there's a filter in between called the U.S. government, which is pushing that information to us. I just put my my uh, my hat, my controversy, uh, uh, I can't think of the right term, my aluminum foil hat uh, behind me. But conspiracy I'd be theory curious hat. to see. What's that? Conspiracy theory hat. Yes. So th there's a buffer in there. I mean, is it true? I, I would think there's some truth. But, you know, everything, just look. Well, look at the news reports and what agencies are producing this. It's not .cn. It's .gov. Dot com and dot org. So um, that's kind of what I would say to that. Yeah, it's a believable, in my opinion, it's a believable statistic. All right, Doug, well, that brings us to um, your favorite topic. I don't know if it's anyone else's, but it is our halftime brought to you by the wonderful people at Cap Logistics. Cap Logistics supports this show financially and from a logistics standpoint. We thank them as always. Um, check them out at caplogistics.com. So, Doug, who's going first this week? Um, I'll go first because it's super a super quick one. First, um, I was on vacation last week, and um, I was kind of upset because the Northern Lights, I was in Wisconsin, my whole family was stoked about coming out on Thursday night to see the Northern Lights, and literally the day before, everybody changed the forecast, and the lights moved up. I think they were in Wisconsin, but it was upper Wisconsin, so it was kind of a bummer little disappointed in that one, but that's how um, the celestial bodies work and it is what it is. So just want to make that comment. But this halftime is about the Tesla truck, which is uh, rearing its head again from I think 2019 or something like that is whenever it first came out. And, um, and now it's kind of back in the, uh, back in the picture. So if electric trucks are becoming more popular, right? I've seen a lot of Rivian trucks and there's the Ford lightning and then the Hummer, uh, truck from GM is out there. Um, by the way, Ford just reduced the cost of the Ford Lightning by $10,000 yesterday, which was just after the, the release uh, on the new, uh, uh, new pressers on, on the Tesla truck. But, but here's the deal. If you just look at the statistics of this thing, it's kind of badass, right? It's got a like a six and a half foot bed, which is enough. It's not huge. Armored glass, 14,000 pound towing capacity, 500 mile range, and zero to 60 in 2.9 seconds. And you're like, yes, roll that thing out. I want to see it. And then it's like a post apocalyptic dystopia Mad Max truck that is just bizarre looking. That I don't know if US consumer is going to be able to get by the way this truck looks. It's just bizarre to me. I personally like. Most of the Teslas out there are sweet looking, right? The sedan is amazing. I really think that they're um, impressive, but this truck is just bizarre. So if they could fix that, in my opinion, um, all those other statistics are pretty impressive, but I, I don't know, this thing just looks bizarre. I don't I, I don't know who's gonna buy it. It just, it seems weird. I don't know, have you seen it? What are your thoughts on that? 
I have seen it, and I, I don't think it's for me and you, Doug. You know, I don't think it's for lack of a better term, country boys. I don't think it's for a couple of you know farm bumpkins like you and I who would prefer to have just a truck. A truck to me is something I throw manure in the back of, or you know, a bunch of crap I bought on Facebook Marketplace. It's something that I generally abuse and move crap around in. So the utility side of the Ford Lightning, which I do love, I, I think they're fabulous. I've actually driven a couple of them. They're pretty badass. I love Rivian. I think that they're, and then I might, I don't know if I'm in the minority in this, but I think they look pretty damn cool. And yeah. I think that the size that they came out with fits. It's not gigantic. It's, it's a, it's the right size for the utility that they're going for. Um, and it looks like a truck. This Tesla truck looks like something we're going to drive on Mars, which I'm sure no one is, guys. But I think it's for people who they want to show the world, first of all, I'm driving an electric car. And I think that there is a set of more, uh, you know, how it looks than what I'm going to use it for. I doubt anybody's going to put, you know, 500 pounds of cow shit in the back of their Tesla truck. Um, not that I know anybody would do it in their Lightning or their Rivian, but it just seems like something that's more likely to happen than you would put in your Tesla truck. I think you're going to see a lot of hip hop artists. You're going to see a lot of social media influencers like dig me in my Tesla truck. Yeah. All right, man, that's cool. But get back to me when you're throwing tractor parts in the back of it. You know, that's just yeah. me. And I would yeah. do that in a Rivian and I would do that in a absolutely in a Ford Lightning. Um, I, don't, I feel Rivians are gorgeous. I'd feel kind of bad doing that to a Rivian, but you know, that's, yeah. it's a truck and that's why you buy them. Oh, one more thing I'll say, Doug, about this. I think that the, the place where Ford and Rivian and the GM side have an opportunity where maybe Tesla doesn't is the utility of these trucks in government use. How many white F-150s and F-250s do you see getting resold from government use? And I don't think that you're going to sell a lot of Teslas for you know, a couple of dudes that are working public works, I think you're going to sell a lot more Rivians and Fords. Yeah, I, that Pete, that is an uh, that's an awesome point. I'm glad you ended it, ended the conversation with that because you're right. I think that that's a uh, uh, utility uh, utilitarian nature of the truck. I think you just nailed it on government contracts. I'm looking um, for a car, Doug. So you told me that that uh, I am looking at Rivians. So I'm going to look at the Lightning too now that it's been reduced because they were very very pricey. Um, but the Rivian just for my lifestyle now might make a Sense. Nice. Good. All right. I have so, time. Yes. I get off my large yard. Go for it. Bro. So um, <laughs> I'm generally in New Jersey for this job during the week. I come home on the weekend, spend time with the family. And last wow. Thursday, I got I got booted edged, buddy. I got like I got stuck at Newark Airport, and I mean, I got stuck. So you read about it all the time. You're like, I'm a pro. I can deal with it. No, no. I w I went. I went over the edge as far as snap factor for Dr. Pete. I left my office in New Jersey at six o'clock, took an Uber to the airport. Very nice lady from the Dominican Republic had a wonderful conversation about baseball, get to the airport. And they're like, Oh, your uh, nine 30 flight is now leaving at nine 45. I'm like, Psh, bring it, grab a bottle of water, you know, eat some uh, baby carrots, wait for my flight, get on the flight, sit on the tarmac for three hours with a bunch of people who were not ready for that, Doug. They were, it, it, it was like the last helicopter out of Hanoi, man. Like it was, it was, it was bad. People were screaming, kids are screaming. Dudes are yelling at flight attendants. Remember how we talked about how people are going crazy? 
I saw it firsthand, like people taking their seatbelt off. I've been here long enough. There are laws about this. I want to talk to your supervisor. We're trying to get back, but there's a, there's a plane that's blocking our way. As soon as it's blocked, we get out there and they say, uh, yeah, hey, everybody, no flights today, flights tomorrow. And because it was weather and not mechanical, we don't owe you a hotel. So tough. And I just got on my app, got in the same hotel I was at the night before, took a $20 Uber, paid a hundred bucks for a hotel room and slept for four and a half hours, came back and it was worse. It was the same people who hadn't slept dealing with their kids. The food places are not open overnight. There's no place to get anything to eat. The water fountains are on, but you've got to have a container for them to work. People are sleeping on the, the floor. It was like a zombie apocalypse movie. And given how the rain persisted over the weekend, and we're looking at more extreme weather in a lot of these places where the, the, the planes are going to connect through, I think it's going to be this way all summer. And I think I'm going to start driving to the office instead of flying because I'd rather sit in my Jeep and, you know, at least listen to the Beastie Boys than sit in an airport and listen to these people complain. Yeah, it's, you know, I fly to Fresno not uh, once once a month and I leave Sunday night, right? It's it's sure. the last the last flight out. It is, I'm not going to name the airline and they're doing the best they can, right? I'm not, it is what it is, but never. I've been out here maybe six times. That flight, six, seven, eight, maybe. That flight has never been on time. It, it's, <laughs> and it's like the doctor's office, right? You pick the last flight. I should know better, but I want to spend time with my family. Is that everybody's delayed a few minutes. It's at the end of the day, all the weather and things are all across the country. You get impacted by it, but it's never been on time. But I, you know, it just, it's the reality of uh, the way things are now. Got a lot of work done, Doug. Got a lot of work done sitting there on my laptop, but it's just miserable, buddy. It's miserable. Yeah. All right. Well, hit us with your next one, pal. What you got? All right. This one's kind of a, uh, 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 yeah. So tell me what, uh, you know, t don't talk about the obvious, but um, the, the comment is kind of like, where is the peak season this year? We talked a little bit about it. Um, and, and for those not a, really dialed in with, with ocean freight there's four seasons pete you probably know this right uh some people refer to it as the quiet season which is like q1 then you get all the food and produce which is q2 peak season q3 and then the holiday which is where the air freight kicks in and everything else it's really like november december so um peak season fluctuates a little bit maybe like july sometimes it starts in august the whole nine yards but for um some of the reasons that you mentioned on your first topic, um, there's just not a lot of production going on over there. And what I've seen in the warehouse business is that the purchase orders that were made during pandemic were monstrous. And the purchase orders that are made post pandemic, at least this first year or two out, are much smaller because there's inventory already on the ground here in the United States. So like you said, everything's cyclical. So the US cuts a smaller purchase order, it reduces production in China, which means there's a hell of a lot of capacity with ocean freight because there's not a lot of stuff moving across. But here's the deal, Pete. Domestic peak season is, in my opinion, still going to happen because um, people are still looking for a good deal. Um, companies are willing to provide it because they need to get rid of inventory. So if I want to spend more money and still have the same amount of goods that I purchase, I think that opportunity is going to be there. And because product is already in the United States and in North America, the <clears throat> excuse me, the domestic piece 
of those connectors is not going to be as impacted as much. So I still think there's going to be a lot of mo a movement, a lot of domestic <clears throat> parcel, LTL, trucking that will be contrary to the ocean freight um, that is making all of the news right now. So I don't think the domestic, um, where is the peak season, is going to be impacted as much because the stuff that that final mile, so to speak, or the connector once it hits the United States, um, isn't going to be impacted because there's already stuff here and companies want to get rid of that stuff. And so there's going to be sales that uh, are comparable to the amount of money that the consumer wants to spend. So ocean freight we're talking about right now, but I don't think we're going to be talking about where's all the freight um, when it comes in Q3, uh, later on in Q3. Yeah, the, um, the reality of this post-pandemic world has really hit our industry. But I think if you look at the numbers compared to pre-COVID, we're kind of in line. You know, that ridiculous growth that blew it all up, we're sort of back to those same numbers. The big difference is, is people just aren't, like you said, buying the stuff that's already here. And that's, um, the peaks are going to be different. The need and necessity for them will be there. The problem is the pricing and the availability won't be as tough internationally. I think domestically, just because of, um, we talked about these these plans in case something goes wrong. The the plan on how you deal with peak is almost written down by these companies. You know, it's it's we do it the same way every single year. Here's how we manage it. Here's who we use. I just don't think our industry is going to be as financially rewarded as they would have in the past. And I think that on top of all of that, this is going to be what breaks a lot of companies. This next 12 months is when you're going to see people who made bad investments and bad decisions find themselves, unfortunately, in a place where they might have to sell, they might have to close their doors, and they, they may have to really reduce staff. It's going to come at the end of this peak for back to school that we're currently going through right now. Yeah. It's, that's a good point. Good point with uh, <clears throat> with the uh, the layoffs and, and whatnot. So, um, all right, man, your uh, your second topic. Let's close this sucker out. Yeah, my second topic is a bit in line with your first one because it has to do with labor issues. And the uh, Canadian strike was ended pretty quickly. And you know, as we said on the show, there was going to be something. It wasn't going to last long. Canada's pretty pro labor. The problem we have now is the aftermath, my friend. The aftermath of, of the Canadian port even slowing and shutting down for a little while really has a lot of back pressure that's built up into the Canadian infrastructure, which is mostly rail. So a lot of reasons for that, cost effectiveness, environmental um, friendliness, and, and certainly just efficiency. But when you put a big gap on it like that, you overload it. And that overloading has an extreme down, down lane effect. So you're already seeing in Canada people who are looking for um, drayage over the road, ways to deal with a solution, and it's going to gum it up for possibly months. That gumming up is going to have a negative effect on the U.S. Our rail systems are so intertwined. They're, um, they're so connected. It's just another great year to be an intermodal, Doug. You know, I mean, the past, the past three or four years, thank you, Vancouver, for giving the industry another unplanned opportunity to make a lot of money because intermodal now and finding ways to deal with this and creative solutions are going to make companies a lot of money. Yeah. Well, you, the, you covered the one um, 
a comment I was going to make is the, is the rail and the intermodal, right? Like you said, there's been a lot of news in the last year related to the, the, the connectivity of Canada, you know, North America, Canada, U.S., and, and Mexico, and the acquisitions happening. So who's the beneficiary on a logistics front? It's going to be the rail, um, and uh, we'll, we'll see how that goes. But, yeah, I think the blip will be relatively quickly absorbed, um, but when it's all said and done, who's the beneficiary? It's going to be the railroad industry and uh, uh, companies and uh, services related to intermodal. So it'll be... It's like it's like monopoly, buddy. By by the utilities, by those railroads. You know, I mean, yeah. they're they're just they're always winning lately. Yeah, yeah. So, all right. Well, from um, 106 degree Fresno, California, and and uh, and Pete back east. I think you've been. We were talking about the the, the crazy rain. So, just like a couple of old men in global trade uh, this week, we got to talk about the weather, which we just did. And uh, now that that's over, I want to thank our listeners, our guests. For, uh, for jumping on and uh, and listening to our banter. We really appreciate you dialing in every week. Pete, it's always a pleasure to uh, to talk with you about global trade, transportation, logistics. I love our topics. Uh, I love halftime and, uh, and it's great. And obviously we wouldn't be here without Cap Logistics. I wanna thank them for their support. And I think that's it. We'll wrap it up for this week, Pete. Enjoy Fresno, buddy. See you next week. Alrighty, take care everybody. Bye-bye.